Hey, you found the Paul List, a daily comics analysis project. Um, it's daily so that we can read widely, and it's analysis so that we can dig deep. Um, you're invited to pop in and listen when you want. I'm Paul. I'm an English teacher and a literacy researcher and a comics reader. I'm on Twitter at Tuply. Visuals are at thepaullist.com, a Tumblr page. Um, you can listen on Stitcher and SoundCloud, and please rate and review us on iTunes. Um, we'd love to hear what you like and what you don't like. And today is our family graphic novel Friday. Our comic is Coral Reefs um, from the first, second science comic series, written and drawn by Maris Wicks. And we'll be looking at information and education in comics. So let's dig deep. All right. Well, glad. Always glad when you can join us. And our Fridays are the days when um, Paul gets to put on his parent hat and his teacher hat and um, talk about comics that are aimed at kids um, and adults. <laughs> because I'll tell you that today's book called Coral Reefs, Cities of the Ocean um, in the science comics line from first second was an education for me. I have, of course, always known about the importance of coral reefs to our ocean ecology, but I never knew the kind of detail of information that I now know as a result of enjoying this book with my daughter. So I'm going to talk a little bit about um, science comics, about um, what this comic does so well. Um, this is a part I'm, I'm noticing a pattern of many of my family um, Friday comics, but um, basically I'll name a comic, I'll name its virtues, and then I'll talk about giving it to my daughter and then I'll talk about her being completely absorbed in it. Um, I don't know if that is to prove anything besides the fact that I am passing on all of my full geekdom to my kid. Um, a wonderful, wonderful geekdom um, to my wonderful kid. But um, uh, I, I, I guess I want to start off talking a little bit about the idea of information and education in comics um, because um, I think that there are many ways in which comics are are great, maybe even better at conveying information than um, than the a lot a lot of the other material that we give to kids. You know, um, not to poo-poo the um, kinds of uh, of sorry nonfiction or or informational texts that um, you know are often super interesting for kids and also teach them a thing or two about things like science or history or or things in the world. Um, I think those are, you know, there are many good ones and, and also many really boring and terrible ones. Um, but I, I, I do think that comics have these unique gifts. Uh, somebody who's been um, proselytizing for that lately has been Jean Nguyen Yang, who is the, um, you know, uh, of course, the creator of um, uh, American Born Chinese from First Second, Boxers and Saints, um, writing super new Superman as well as Dark Horse's Avatar: The Last Airbender, and um, Shadow Hero. I've talked about uh, Mr. Yang many times, but one of his roles right now is, is as the national ambassador for young people's literature. And one of the comics that he's doing right now is something called Secret Coders. I've written about um, Mr. Yang after a conversation that we had for the website MultiversityComics.com. So you can go there and look for Paul Lai and Gene uh, Wen Yang, and for the that three-part uh, article. But one of the things that he is talking about a lot lately is that um, comics as educational and informational texts for kids can um, have the possibility of teaching and informing. And he talks about being a um, substitute teacher, no, sorry, a teacher 
and having to substitute for another teacher and then having to leave behind lesson plans for his kids. And one of the things that he had to do, um, something, a practice that many of us are familiar with who've been in the classroom, is to try to leave behind a sense of himself so that the kids don't uh, start thinking that the teacher is gone and you could do whatever you want. And so one way he did that was to draw comics, draw comics of himself, um, and, and and not only giving assignments, but but teaching, explaining concepts. And he was a computer science, a computers teacher at, uh, at uh, high school level. And so um, he thought a lot about how um, comics could be used um, educationally to convey concepts, um, concepts that often do best when they're in a narrative and sequential and visual uh, format. Um, of course, the idea would be that we would all take the, the, the things that are in our heads, the various diagrams, the configurations of facts, the schema of um, related knowledge, and be able to, you know, from our imaginations, materialize a video that kids could interact with and turn in three dimensions or something like that. Look, we're not there yet. <laughs> but I think comics can do a really great, um, you know, a great uh, work in in conveying to, to young people to children, to learners, um, you know, pr pretty complex stuff. And if you've read Secret Coders, which the second book, Paths and Portals, just came out recently, drawn by Mike Holmes, um, Mr. Yang does an admirable job of, of talking about some pretty, you know, mathematically, conceptually tough stuff as far as how coding works through a narrative. And I think that is really intriguing. There is this emphasis right now on... Um, on informational text and a lot of it has to do with the common core and um, I don't know what your feelings are or, or biases are about the common core um, I'm not going to um, uh, you know I'm not gonna extend my analysis here on that um, but I but there is in reflected in the common core this increasing emphasis within literacy on teaching kids to be able to access informational and argumentative texts because you know we've we're used to a steady diet of um, humanistic education where we read narratives and stories and literature and fiction and uh, all that is really good. And I, I think proponents of what I'm talking about don't want to take away from uh, that. Uh, I think instead what they're suggesting is that in science classes and in history classes that we don't just teach the concepts, we don't just teach them how to do a lab or how to have a fun, interesting history project, but we teach them how to access texts that um you know the kind of stuff that is a, a textbook or a, a college um research article let's say or a, a you know a, a, a clearly and um objectively uh, you know written uh science ar article uh an encyclopedia entry do those still exist encyclopedias <laughs> um but but that kind of text it turns out it seems to be what keeps uh, many of the kids who can succeed academically, um, what, what keeps them uh, able to access information and knowledge on their own uh, without the mediator of a good teacher, um, and, and also at the same time bars other kids who have trouble with that kind of complex informational text uh, from, from being able to succeed academically. At least that's the theory. Um, and a lot of it, uh, now I'm editorializing a little bit, comes from the you know, the sense that university level um, educators have that, you know, students come to them underprepared to read college level texts. And so under that pressure, that pressure kind of pushes on the K-12 school system 
um, starting at you know the high school level, but really kind of pushing down into the lower grades, that if we want kids by the time they are 17, 18 years old and entering college to be able to read the kinds of stuff that we expect them to read in college, then you know whatever field that you're in, whatever discipline that you're in, then we need to start much, much earlier with teaching them how to read um, not just my side of the mountain or whatever, or, you know, nice stories that um, connect people's with with people's feelings and help them to, you know, understand characters and settings. But but we need to teach them to be able to access information, right? To be able to understand a text if it's uh, explaining multiple steps, or if it's making a persuasive uh, rhetorical argument, or if it's proposing a problem solution, and so on. Um, and so, how do we do informational text? Well, one of the one of the tricks that informational texts have always relied on is, is visuals that's why textbooks as they evolved became more and more reliant on um you know um images and um uh, what do you call them diagrams and stuff like that right <laughs> um but that kind of visual uh, information is um is, is is somewhat foreign to to many readers although these days not as much on the internet um but you know written into those common core standards that are supposed to apply not just to english but to science and and social science and stuff like that is is a requirement that teachers pay attention to kids learning how to read things like visual diagrams or even understanding things like documentary videos right and across different kinds of media to be able to make sense of information that is being presented or arguments that are being presented in um in a kind of uh whether prose form or or multimedia form right and into this picture steps comics which has always been um i'm gonna argue i would argue the uh, sort of medium par excellence of um of multi-sensory <laughs> multimedia um communication uh you know I, I think often of um the the time period between the golden age and the later graphic novel will eisner where he was making comics to um convey information in the military that was obviously sometimes life or death important or at least um very very uh you know uh vital to the functioning of the uniform military command and so you know you had to have your your sort of frontline people understanding how you know how things worked and he used comics and he, he sort of um that was his work during the time the the low ebb um in the you know 50s post wortham when comics really dried up as as work and uh and that's where he found good employment and also the practice of conveying a lot of information via comics um and and one of the questions that I always have is how much comics that are informational are, do in fact um, still rely on narrative. Um, we've all seen comics that are informational comics that are incredibly um, dry, <laughs> that um, think that just because you add a few illustrations um, and you have panels, but you still litter the text with you know sort of lifeless facts, then um, I'm not going to name any specific comics here, but 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 that somehow you know you've made it more accessible or more readable than say just directly reading Howard Zinn's People's History of the United States, which I've never found to be the case. I think sometimes making things into comics form actually dries up and and I don't know um, sort of takes away from from 
an informational text because I think because you sort of um, skirt out of the responsibility of of having solid prose or of engaging prose because you just assume the pictures are going to do the engagement work. And so then it becomes uh, even more rote than originally. Um, But (laughs) all that is my run up to say that's not what Science Comics does. And that's certainly not what Marist Wicks does. Now, I got to say, I'm not um, that invested in coral reefs. Um, I, I, you know, care about ecology, obviously, and think as I read these things about the world that we are um, taking, supposed to be taking care of and, and, and leaving behind to, um, to say, my daughter's generation. But, um, but I'm not a, a great scientist, and um, I, I wouldn't call myself somebody with natural scientific curiosity. In fact, I try to avoid nature at all costs. Um, <laughs> camping is not my cup of tea, for instance, because, you know, there's dirt and bugs, and then I get sweaty. Um, but, um, but I think that there's something in the natural curiosity that a book like this arouses that I wish I had more of when I was a kid, to be honest, because, all right, so my daughter and I are at the um, Lawrence Hall of Science up there in Berkeley, and uh, we, I need to eat. <laughs> so we stop in the gift shop because I figure, um, hey, let me get her a book to entertain her while I, um, while I fill my, my tummy. And um, we're there. And of course, there's all kinds of interesting, you know, math practice books and little gadgets and gizmos. Of course, what my daughter is attracted to is uh, there on the bookshelf, um, a comic. And it's um, from the science comic series, which I had heard about. It's a very recent endeavor. Um, Maris Wicks, as I said, does this Coral Reefs book. There's another one that's out about dinosaurs. It was also there on the shelf by um, M.K. Reed and Joe Flood, um, more accomplished cartoonists. And then I think whether they're already out or coming soon, there's also science comics about volcanoes, flying machines, bats, and solar system, uh, which just all sound really fun. And I think all done by sort of cartoonists who are um, giving their best shot at adapting this informational stuff into something that's interesting. Uh, and of course, I knew Maris Wicks from Human Body Theater and other things that she's done. So I knew that there would be a, a, um, a strong cartoonist's touch. And so they really indeed uh, do it and do it well. And I think that um, so essentially what the book is, is an explanation of coral reefs and coral. And um, this is not softballing the science at all. Uh, You know, for a text, uh, let me see the, the page numbers. I mean, for a text of 117 ish pages, Look, if you wanted um, the science, the 200-page science textbook about coral reefs, you're not going to get it. But if you want something more than the sort of really um, cursory, you know, three pages about the oceans that you might find somewhere else, you'll be astounded by the depth that um, this book, depth, haha, see what I did there, uh, this book um, gets into. And... The opening pages are sort of the Milky Way and then a zooming in into Earth and eventually into the oceans. And you see a spot of, the, the, of, of different kinds of coral. And then there's the intrusion of a face, of a fish character. And this fishy character, I forgot his name, but he's basically our narrator. He's sort of glasses-wearing fish, <laughs> squishy fish, and, um, and goes on to explain not only types of coral, um, cnidarians, what the differences are between invertebrates, um, how phylum, kingdom, and 
all that stuff works. Um, the distinguishing features of different kinds of coral, coral and where they appear, the evolutionary history of coral, uh, what kinds of oceans they live in, how they're um, a part of the ecology, and how you know huge amounts of of life forms are dependent on coral, which are rapidly depleting, which I talked about later on, but all with a really light touch. And if I am going into this much detail and you're like, wow, that sounds incredibly boring. It's not. My five-year-old was just like, you know, the long drive home. We were just, just sat in the, in the car and ate this up and then went home and read some more, <laughs> and, you know, and, 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 you know, it's, hmm. I think a lot of why is because what Wix does as a cartoonist is that she knows that you know a lot of this information could become sucked dry of what's interesting about it. But there's a few elements that keep it from being that. One, you have this narrator. And the narrator is important because there's a personality that you trust walking you through this information for whatever significance that it's going to have. And so, you know, I, she didn't start reading on, on my own. It's quite a lot of scientific terminology. So I started reading probably the first few um, pages with her. And, you know, every single page is, as I said, chock full of information. But there's also a um, a bit of the kind of wonder and fascination in the way that the story is, the, the story, the information is given, you know. Invertebrates are animals that have no backbone or spinal cord. And they are everywhere. And, you know, and the panel is filled with octopuses and snails and um, jellyfish and starfish and all kinds of stuff and you know you just feel like you know there's things that I am I know that I'm a teacher and so I have this sort of reading voice that um, can try to infuse a kind of interest in life into whatever I'm whatever I'm trying to read to a kid but there's ways that the material lends itself to that more or less and this is the kind of material that if you like you know read to your kid and you want to inject a bit of enthusiasm it's just not hard at all because the things that are just are, are going to appeal to a kid and seem extraordinary, the wonders that, you know, you can sort of pause to recognize and like, wow, that's cool, uh, are all done really well. The very same facing page of the one I just read, this is all in just pages six and seven of the book, you know, uh, and we all have flexible tentacles that help us catch our prey. And then a couple of uh, coral are going, just wave your tentacles in the air, wave them like you just don't care. And then the next panel, I can't believe I just said that. The next panel, um, it shows a diagram of how the tentacles have um, nematocysts. And it's kind of like shooting out these little stinging cells. And there's a spring and it says boing. And there's this, you know, the stinger thing, whatever, that's, that's being shot out. This is just in two panels. And whatever kind of interest and, and, and sort of... Um, uh, excitement can be pulled from this information, which does the cartoonist, the cartoonist's trick of doing it. Um, and, and so, yeah, it's page after page of drawings of corals. And yet it's not, um, it's not boring. In fact, you know, if you ever go scuba diving, which I have not done, but, um, but I've done a little bit of snorkeling and you just kind of look around and there's just kind of this like, huh, well, we take this for granted all the time unless we sit there and watch nature documentaries, but wow, the variety here. And, you know, you wonder about why the variety exists and what exactly is going on and what's going to happen to all this coral in light of, you know, what we're doing and environmental degradation and stuff like that and climate change, those kinds of things that are just 
again, feeding on the natural interest and organizing information in a manner that's um, a deep dive into the science, but, but also emerges for the breath of air of just relatability. Um, that's what Maris Wicks does really well. And, and, I, and I think it's great because as I was saying at the top, there, there's got to be ways that we can bridge the kind of um, you know, informational text, the kind of maybe scientific discourse with um, our natural human penchant for narrative. Another book that I guess I'd want to, a couple books, all ages books that I want to shout out. I don't know if I'll get a chance to talk about them on Friday, family graphic novel. Maybe I will. But um, is, uh, you know, this week we just got Mighty Jack, which is Ben Hackey's new book. And it's sort of a retelling of the Jack and the Beanstalk um, story. And it was funny when I when it came, I told my daughter, hey, Mighty Jack, it's it's cool. Look, and uh, it's a retelling of Jack and the Beanstalk. And I don't know where she heard the story. I think it was a preschool, um, you know, reading. And the the version of that story must have just had something, an illustration, whatever. Anyway, she she was like, no, no. I don't want to read that <laughs> because something, some earlier version of Jack and the Beanstalk had scared, scared her, you know, it, the giant fee fi fum I don't know what it was, the, um, the danger, the sense of danger or whatever. And then we read Mighty Jack together and, um, we, uh, you know, we were totally absorbed, read through it in one sitting. Ben Hackey does Ben Hackey things and, and it's amazing. It's great fun. Along the way, I could tell that there were these moments where my daughter was reading it and said, I and almost said to herself, I know this is something I should be a little bit scared of. And it's not really a scary comic. Um, I think for a five-year-old, um, anything that is sort of remotely uh, feels dangerous is quickly um, dealt with, you know, sort of shown to be either innocent or, um, if not innocent, uh, at least something that our heroes can, can meet. Um, and uh, and so, you know, I think there's, there's all these moments where she kind of like, oh, this is something that I don't like and makes me nervous and I think that one that we were reading it together and two the way that the narrative carried her along uh, basically took something that was either disgusting or frightening to her and became um, anodyne became interesting became relevant became part of the configuration of the story and because it's part of the configuration of the story it sort of becomes uh, wrestled under control in a way and and she could and then she spent a lot of time with Mighty Jack, you know, and and, and similarly, no, actually quite differently, but um, but uh, but approaching a phenomenon that I'm that I'm trying to get at uh, right now. We've also been reading this this old um, see oldish series from the late two thousands um, called Max Finder Mysteries, and I picked him up because I like Michael Cho, who is an artist, and I you know he doesn't have a um, a long bibliography. He's done a lot of illustration work, does New Yorker covers and stuff like that. And he's also been doing a lot of variant covers for Marvel Comics and DC Comics' um, collections covers. And he has this very classic looking style that's that's really cool. He has a great book called Shoplifter. Anyway, I was looking for what Michael Cho had done and realized that deep in the back catalog that he had done these comics that were part of a Canadian magazine that were these four-page mini-mysteries, kind of in the vein of Encyclopedia Brown. You know, these sort of short mysteries or those, whatever they're called, 60-minute, whatever, 60-second mysteries or whatever. You you know, you a short mystery where the clues are within the story. And so I started reading those with my daughter, too. And there's, and Max Finder is, is one of the heroes, but there's another one who I wish they would also put in the title. But um, Max and um, and his, his, uh, his uh, f- uh, friend, 
Uh, and she's often the one who solves the mysteries, by the way. Allison is Allison Santos is her name. My daughter loves Allison Santos. So <laughs> Max and Allison are, you know, are able to solve these mysteries within, you know, a, a story that's told in four pages. And the idea is you sit there and study the pages and you remember the characters and the facts that are named in the in the in the narrative, but you also can look in the details of the panels to find clues that solve the mystery of who stole the bike or whatever it is, right? And so my daughter is reading uh, in these three very different modes, all of which kind of invite her to overcome the speed at which she has grown accustomed to reading, to slow down and to take in information in different ways. In Max Finder, it's to look like a, as a detective and to pick up details and relationships between characters, clues, sequence, events, that kind of stuff. In Mighty Jack, it's, you know, this sort of typical um, narrative, the engrossing story, but, but she has to overcome all these wonders of this stuff that's growing out of the garden that we don't know whether it's good or evil or dangerous or, or welcome magic. And then in Coral Reefs, um, uh, what Maris Wicks does is, is as a, as a guide, you know, via the fish, <laughs> to walk her through all these bits of scientific information, um, you know, classification and, um, and you know, cause and effect and, and all this kind of stuff and, and different relationships between different, um, different uh, organisms in the ocean. And to walk them through in a way that is um, just sort of like, trust me, I'm going to show you what's fun and interesting about this. And all of these things are ways of slowing down as she reads, trusting that there's a payoff. And I think that there's something really important about that as part of the literacy experience, as part of that literacy learning, where I remember as a kid reading Sherlock Holmes stories, and this is later in elementary school, and realizing I had to slow down, A, because of the language, B, because I want to pay attention to the clues. And that was actually a big part of my training as a reader to pay attention in different ways when I read, right, which paid off later in doing literary analysis or whatever. And in the same way, I remember, um, uh, you know, reading um, encyclop science encyclopedia um, entries that my parents made me read. Uh, <laughs> but 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 these breakthrough events where, though not a great science student, I just sort of slow read things, wrapped my mind around them, interpreted them and understood them and then had to find a way to convey them. And the times that I did best as a scientist was actually when I when it was a, a matter of performing like an English student where I had to like translate a bit of text into something comprehensible for my classmates or my lab mates. That's when I tended to do best in science. And I think what um, Wix's comic does is it um, sort of inculcates in kids this practice of slowing down to observe information and then to make commentary on it that reflects that I'm processing this information with what I already know. There's sort of a, oh, we mentioned this, right? Remember that? Well, now look at how it's different here or now look at how it plays up, plays up here. And there's pages of this where there's a very clear sequence describing, for instance, the water cycle and then how pollution um, relates to the water cycle. There's there's sequences in this where um, it's kind of about, um, you know, the, the, the relationships of really different minerals and, and, you know, elements, molecules, stuff like that, which I sort of always shudder when I hear words like that. But, but um, you know, the, the, 
this page I'm looking at, page 92, the fish is like, we've got to get molecular to see this happen. And you just are primed for looking at things at these different scales, whether we're talking about the molecular level or the global level, that, you know, is, is yeah, it kind of shows the interrelationship between all these things, you know? And this is like science at its coolest, right? Yay, science comics. Uh, and so, um, so you know, I, I, I'm going to get dinosaurs, man. I want to know about more about dinosaurs. <laughs> And, uh, and and also volcanoes and flying machines and bats and the solar system. No surprise that first second, uh, the the wonderful folks at first second are behind this book. And um, I do highly recommend coral reefs and science comics. Um, more than that, I recommend um, that you think about uh, and um, try some things out and do some sort of experimenting of your own, whether you have a, a kid to experiment on like I do or not, with how information is con effectively conveyed um there's a uh, um, a whole movement of um kind of medical information or medical studies comics um osteocore is one of those things uh, graphic medicine actually is a place that you want to go um med comic um but there's just if you just look up medicine and comics or medical and comics this world where it's just like this rec it's not a matter of like some people being devoted to the cause of comics it's just this recognition that hey what is the most practical useful um and and reliable way to convey this information uh you know and it turns out that 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 comics is has many gifts to offer that department um yeah, I, as I as I continue the Paul list, I, I hope that now and then I'll be able to um, to talk about this, to to read some nonfiction or journalistic or information comics, because I mean some of what I'm saying is just is pretty basic, but you know it, it gets deeper when you start looking at the work of comics journalists like Joe Sacco and stuff, and uh, or or when you start um, you know considering uh, comics that are making some kind of an argument and um, marshalling evidence to, to make that argument. Um, as I said, this is a time in education when, uh, you know, the, the drive to make information, um, you know, uh, make us all adept at reading information for, you know, the, the future marketplace and for our careers, but also for, you know, becoming civically informed and engaged is, is sort of increasingly emphasized. And so, the role that comics can have in early literacy and in later literacy and heck in adult literacy in helping us to have um, a, a deepening understanding and a, and a sort of a, a stronger, I don't know, cognitive grasp of, um, of things that are complex and should remain complex because oversimplifying them becomes uh, really even dangerous to our fate as a society. Um, the comics' role, potential role in that um, is uh, is something that I want to keep on watching. Um, and on that note, by the way, before my time runs out, Nick Susanis today in San Francisco. Uh, look it up. There's an event. I'm gonna try to be there. It's um, it's at uh, it's called Unflattening Revolutionizing Thought in Comics. Nick Susanis is a thought leader, I believe, um, in how comics can uh, communicate thought and ideas. And uh, he's gonna be at. San Francisco in the place that I am not uh, pulling up right now, but I'm going to be there. All right. So anyway, that's one whose work you should watch. Thanks for joining us today on the Paul list. Uh, I'm out of time. You can email me at 2 at gmail.com. You can 
find me on Twitter, Tuply, T-W-O-P-L-A-I. Uh, you can go to the Paul list um, and leave me some feedback. Uh, let me know you're listening, please. All right, let's keep reading.